Another day, another MCU TV show in the books. Quite literally with this one, because Secret Invasion is based off of a comic book. Loosely, in name. <laughs> I'm sure I can find one or two similarities. Homies. Homies one and all. Allow me to welcome you all to a very special episode of the Superhero Homies podcast. Of course, I am your host for this evening. My name is... It's Quentin. So, I will be flying solo here tonight uh, for a couple reasons. One, because it is late. Uh, as of the time of this recording, it is late. At least for me, I'm getting old. And, no disrespect to the TV show, it has been difficult to find someone who has actually seen this show. And, even more difficult to find someone who has seen every episode already. Uh, but with that being said, tonight's episode is clearly about secret invasion, but I wanted to kind of put a spin on it, uh, because obviously we're going to discuss the show in its entirety, all six episodes, but I also wanted to talk about the comic book as well. And I wanted to take a look at the similarities, the differences, and this is going to be a trickier episode than I initially thought. You see, uh, about a month and a half ago, as the show was about to come out, I had this idea to do it in this kind of format. You know, that way, instead of doing a, a separate episode for the book and a separate episode for the TV show, I figured why not just combine the two and then kind of talk about them in tandem. The issue is that, like I said earlier, the TV show is so different from the comic book. And so with those changes, it's going to be interesting to talk about how the two kind of ebb and flow because they really don't. <laughs> and, you know, uh, the longer that I've been podcasting, the more kind of lax I've been on, you know, letting shows and movies slide with uh, picking and choosing what source material they want to adapt and what material they don't. But ultimately, uh, I'm always hyper aware of this stuff, but I never want to come across as like elit elitist or gatekeepy ish or anything like that. I always want to make sure that, you know, if it's good, then it's good at the end of the day. That's really what matters the most and how something is adapted, you know, while that is always important to me, ultimately, are you doing the best with what you have in terms of your limitations? You know, so how good is this TV show? Uh, how how does it compare to the comic book? Well, we're going to talk about all that here tonight, and I'm going to try to keep this one somewhat brief. I know I always say that, but I think for one of the reviews I did for the Flashpoint comic book, Ended up going almost two hours. You know how long two hours is when you're talking to yourself? It's more like six. But yeah, for this episode, I will try to keep it short and there will be full spoilers. Okay, so this will be full spoilers for both the TV show and the comic book. So what is Secret Invasion about? What does this story contain when and where does it take place in the Marvel Comics universe? What is going on? Who's in it? 
Uh, you know, all those questions and more will be answered to a degree. But in terms of both the TV show and the comic book, as normal, I won't be going into every single minute detail. So if you guys, for some reason, haven't read the comic book and haven't seen the TV show and you are still here and you just don't give a fuck about spoilers. <laughs> I mean, that's on you. You know, I still highly recommend that you guys check out both the comic book and the TV show. But uh, with that being said, I, I do want to start off talking a little bit about the comic book. And and then we're going to go into the TV show here. And I think that this is important just because people can get can kind of see what the original story was about, because, uh, you know, the, this comic book is uh, I think it came out back in like oh five ish, oh four, oh five, somewhere around that era. And uh, that was a great era for Marvel Comics. I love this time period, right? So, like, this was the time period where everything was firing on all cylinders, right? And there's a weird kind of dynamic not to uh, take myself off course already, but there's a, a weird kind of synergistic dynamic in the comic book industry, right? Like, I'm a huge, huge DC fanboy, obviously, and clearly I'm also a, a huge Marvel fanboy too. Uh, but, you know, for me, if I had to pick one, it, it might be DC in terms of comic books. It's fucking close. It's, it's razor thin close. But the only reason I bring that up is because the industry leader, for the most part, has always been Marvel. And, and DC has kind of played, you know, second fiddle. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, they, they've gone back and forth and whatnot, but, you know, Marvel has just kind of, you know, kind of steered the course. And I think it's because they typically produce more age appropriate comic books, whereas DC is a little bit more on the gritty side. Uh, that's just a theory. Who knows? But, with, you know, with that being said, Marvel has always kind of been more or less the industry leader. But. The kind of interesting thing is, is that the better that Marvel comics does than like the better DC comics does or vice versa, uh, because there was like a, a 10 year time span for both Marvel and DC where they were both on fire. And I don't know, uh, exactly how that synergy works. Uh, I'm sure it's just competition breeds a better product. Uh, and, and I'm really referring to like the 2000 through 2010 ish era. And yeah, there were good comics that came out after 2010 for Marvel and DC. But I feel like for that decade, for both of these companies, they were really just firing on all cylinders and everything they put out was just fire and, you know, just really good, compelling stories. And this was just such a good era their editing was on point. Their mapping was on point. They were keeping track of where their characters were and what events took place. And there were callbacks and, and things felt like they made sense. And, you know, after, after some time, things kind of fell apart, you know, for, for DC, you know, for better or for worse, we got the new 52 era, which really pissed off a lot of old school fans and, you know, for Marvel, we got the all new, all different era, which was all bad. And, you know, <laughs> then they, you know, tried to kind of recover and recoup from there. 
The only reason I bring that up in relation to the Secret Invasion comic book is that it came out in the middle of uh, kind of a, a new renaissance era for Marvel Comics. Like, this was the era where uh, I really feel like a lot of people have a lot of comic books that they just thoroughly enjoy. And Secret Invasion is a big part of that. This was during the time when Brian Michael Bendis, the famed comic book writer, he was really uh, hot shit then. Like, he was the guy for Marvel. This was during the time frame where I considered Brian Michael Bendis to be the equivalent for Marvel as Jeff Johns was for DC. Meaning that if you needed a good story and you were, you know, someone who worked for DC, you would always go to Jeff Johns because no matter what, you knew that this guy was going to churn out something that was quality. And I feel that Bendis was becoming that same thing for Marvel. I mean, they were just constantly going to him for you know story after story and he was just putting out such good material and yeah spoiler alert i think that secret invasion is one of them i think that secret invasion is a very good event uh i think that it is um you know one of the the big key events that came out around this time frame for marvel comics and with that being said let's kind of go ahead and paint the picture for what was going on during the marvel comics era in this time frame you know so we had the Civil War, which was, I mean, regardless of how you feel about the Civil War comic books, I, I found some people who didn't like it. I really enjoyed the Civil War comic book a lot. But regardless of how you feel about it, you have to give it props for really changing the landscape of Marvel Comics. You know, like, for example, if Marvel tried to do something similar today, uh, it probably wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And then there would be no aftermath. People would just kind of go back to acting however towards one another. But when the original Civil War comic book came out back in the day, there was aftermath that could be failed. It sent ripples and shockwaves all throughout the Marvel universe, right? So like, it wasn't like people just went back to liking each other and getting along. There were still shockwaves that were going on. And this was so interesting, right? Because this happened during the middle of Bendis's new Avengers run. And so his Avengers team was fractured. And obviously you had Team Tony, you had Team Cap. And then shortly after the Civil War is when Captain America was shot and killed. And, and there was just so much connective tissue in Marvel Comics during this time frame. It didn't feel like people were in their own little world. It didn't feel like like uh, like something that would happen in one book was completely separated from another book. Everything kind of ebbed and flowed. And because the, the writing was also so good during this time frame as well, it made it easy to pick up several books at one time uh, because they all to a degree felt like they were they felt like they were in the same universe, even though these stories have always been in the same universe. But for the first time in a long time, you could really feel it. And now the thing about the Civil War and the reason why that's so important is because of the aftermath and what ends up happening here. So obviously, you know, we don't need to get in too much into what happens in Civil War, but it ends up with uh, Captain America realizing that it's not about what he wants. It's about what the people want. And the people were afraid. The civilians were afraid and they did want order. They did want more structure and it's during that moment where Cap, he realized that, okay, I've been fighting for 
for my rights and for my freedoms and for the rights and freedoms of, of my comrades and the people that I've been fighting alongside. But it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about the people who we are trying to protect and they are afraid and they have spoken and they want or they feel more comfortable with Team Tony. You know, that's kind of the the gist of the ending of Civil War. And so Captain America, even though he has Tony Stark dead to rights, he gives up and he's arrested and he's taken in. And like I said, uh, it's, it's during the trial of Captain America where he gets killed. And, you know, Bucky takes up the mantle temporarily. Uh, and, and, you know, not to go too much into that, but the reason Bucky did that was because he wanted to... Uh, redeem himself and, and try to do something that would be that would make his friend proud of him. Essentially, you know, he wanted to prove to Steve and to himself that he can kind of not atone for all of the, the many assassinations and wrongdoings he did as the winter soldier, but to, to show that, you know, he, he wants his friend's le- legacy to carry on. But of course people love him more as winter soldier. And so it wasn't too long before, Bucky went back to being the Winter Soldier and assassinating people, but people who deserved assassinations this time. Anyway, but after the the Civil War, uh, Tony Stark was made the head director of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Mr. Destrigan of uh, Maria Hill. And so now Tony was the top cop. Tony was wearing several hats at one time. Okay, so Tony was now the top cop at S.H.I.E.L.D., he had initiated the 50 States initiative, which was one of the big parts of the superhero registration act during civil war. And the reason why that is interesting is because the whole idea behind the 50 States initiative is that superheroes or superpowered people in general who were in every state, they all of course had to register with the government. Their identities had to be revealed. They had to go through proper training and, you know, they were all connected and they were more like, high-powered government official police officers more so than superheroes. And so whether you like the person who you're working with or not, whether they used to be villains or whatever kind of beef you had didn't matter, you would have to have to work with these people. And, uh, you know, so that, that's kind of the whole idea behind the 50 States Initiative. Tony Stark was also, you know, there was a lot of delegation, but he was the head of that. He was the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was still an Avenger, uh, you know, with this kind of new splintered Avengers team. And uh, he was also a part of the Illuminati. So none of that changed. He was wearing several hats at one time. And what I really love about, again, this era of Marvel Comics is that the writers seem to wear, and maybe it's because Bendis wrote a lot of this, Bendis did not write Civil War. That was Mark Miller. But in terms of like the Avengers comic books, uh, in terms of House of M or Secret Invasion, uh, I mean, hell, even just prior to that, Alias, Daredevil, you know, all of that was written by Bendis and then and then some. Bendis was just kind of the go-to guy during this time period. So Tony Stark had a uh, a lot on his plate, and it, it was wearing thin on him. And. You know, even if you are the brilliant man of Tony Stark, you can't keep this up forever, right? And so essentially what, what ends up happening is that uh, Tony, or actually uh, the New Avengers, as they're called, uh, they discover that Elektra is a scroll, 
and Elektra during this time in Marvel Comics, she was the head of the hand, you know, the the evil mystical ninja group uh, that Daredevil usually squares off with. Elektra was was uh, the head of the hand, and she was a scroll. She had been killed in combat, and then lo and behold, boom, there's her corpse. She's a scroll. Holy shit, what does this mean? And that technically is kind of how, if you're reading it in omnibus format, that's how the new Avengers omnibus kind of ends. And it ends on this major cliffhanger. You're like, what the fuck? What happens next? It looks just a scroll. And everyone has the same question. How come we didn't know this? How long, how long has she been a scroll? What does this mean? And the reason why this is so troubling is that Tony, it's been a while since I read the Illuminati stuff, but I believe that he had already previously known that there again had been scrolls on earth invading and, and they were masquerading as, as known people. But now that this Electra thing had happened and multiple superheroes and Avengers now knew that, okay, Electra's a scroll. What does this mean? There's a problem now because if there is a full fledged scroll invasion, Tony Stark being the leader of the Avengers and the director of shield, He's going to have to answer for all of this. So he needs to get a hold of this situation before shit gets out of hand. And I'm not going to spend too much time here on the secret invasion story. I promise we're going to get to the TV show here. But just to give you guys kind of a premise of what the book is, is Tony goes to uh, obviously two of his you know best and brightest friends that, we, that he can still trust. Uh, that being Hank Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man, and Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. Uh, they all sided with Tony during the uh, superhero Civil War, and they're also two of the brightest minds in Marvel Comics. And uh, they are doing an autopsy on the Scroll Electra, and they're all baffled because how didn't they see this? How didn't they know? And this is big news. This is kind of troubling because now they know that the scroll, they are up to something and they need to figure this shit out. Well, that's when they discover another unfortunate truth uh, that there is a scroll spacecraft that is landing in the Savage Land. I don't think the Savage Land has technically been introduced yet in the MCU, but I, th I feel that it will be soon. I think it will be soon for sure. Uh, but anyways, uh, so Tony grabs a group of his Avengers and they take off and they go to the Savage Land to investigate this crash. Uh, Luke Cage, who is kind of the head of the underground Avengers, who was with Team Cap, uh, he also takes a group of, of his, you know, defenders slash Avengers team, whatever you want to call them, and they also head out that way as well. And, uh, and then it's just Reed Richards and Hank Pym who are working on this autopsy, this, this, corpse of a scroll that was pretending to be Electra. And then that's when it's revealed that Hank Pym is also a fucking scroll <laughs> and he captures Reed Richards and takes him back to the, uh, the scroll mothership. Uh, so the shit is hitting the fan crazy. Okay. But like I said, to kind of power through this story. And so you guys get the gist of what this is, the scrolls, they have stepped up their game to the point where they are not only more advanced super scrolls, not only do they have more powers than they have before, not only are they more super scrolls than they've ever been, but these scrolls have sleeper agents. These scrolls have brainwashed 
people, superheroes, quote unquote, that have been amongst the Avengers and the other superpower teams for who knows how long. And this is troubling because they are indoctrinated to such a degree that even the scrolls who are pretending to be Avengers or X-Men or whoever, they truly believe that they are who they say they are. And it takes, it takes a lot for them to, you know, kind of be convinced that they, you know, they're not who they say they are, but that they're really scrolls. Anyway, it's, it's trippy, right? Because we've never seen this level of dedication or indoctrination from the scrolls, but they are in deep and what it does is it fucks with you as a reader because now you're trying to keep up with who you think is a scroll and who isn't. And it's a whole mess. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with, but in a good way. And it's very riveting from that degree. This book is very much action heavy. Uh, and as much as it is kind of secretive in terms of who is a scroll and who isn't, it's also very much action heavy because it's not that this whole mystery is quiet and on the hush hush. No, it is very much front and center because not only do we have scrolls who are coming out now and, and they're they They've been amongst our heroes for months, maybe even longer. But on top of that, there's a, a full fledged scroll invasion on earth and they are coming down and full forces and they have such high numbers and they have an extensive list of superpowers and they are kicking ass. They are just decimating our heroes. And I love what one of the scrolls has to say, right? Like we get kind of some, some narration from the scrolls. And what one of the scroll generals says is that we've already won this battle. And it's to the point where it's not even a battle for us anymore. And the reason why we've won is because our opponents don't even know who they can trust. And you see that play out a lot in the book, right? So like you think that you can trust the guy next to you. You know, you guys have been working together for months now and you've known this person for even longer and you guys are standing side by side fighting the scrolls, but then you realize, holy shit, no, you're actually a scroll. <clears throat> and then again, there's other people, other sleeper agents who have been under so long that they think that they are the real genuine thing. And so, yeah, it, it gets heavy. Right. <laughs> and so uh, in that regard, this book is really cool and really trippy. And you're really trying to figure out who is and who isn't a scroll. Uh, Maria Hill gets a, a lot of panel time in this book. And I love that. Maria Hill is excellent here. And <laughs> you guys are going to hear a little bit about what I have to say about the usage of Maria Hill in the TV show. Very, uh, very shortly here. But in the comic book, Maria Hill is such a, a great character. And when I say that Maria Hill is a great character in the comic books, what I really mean is that she's not great in the sense of, yay, I love Maria Hill. She's so awesome and blah, blah, blah. What I mean is that she is so capable. She is so. I don't want to say aggressive, maybe passive aggressive is more accurate. She's stern and straightforward and. She gets what she wants. She will find a way to make it happen. And then you see why for so long 
she was like second in command to Nick Fury because she's, I mean, that's the real definition of a boss bitch. Like Maria Hill, she's, uh, she's got all the qualifications and then some, she's a no nonsense type of girl. And she gets a lot of really cool panel time here. And I always, she did also in like civil war as well. And, and even then in civil war, she was kind of presented in a more antagonistic light, but even still she's doing her job and she's damn good at it. Uh, so I've always really liked that about Maria Hill and that quality remains here. But now that she's fighting the scrolls, you know, she's kind of more viewed in a, in a good light instead of that antagonistic type of light. We get a, a lot of action here in this book. And like I said, this book is very action heavy, especially in the back half. But in terms of like the key things you guys need to know is that the space shuttle that lands in the Savage Land, where our heroes from either side of the Civil War kind of congregate, uh, congregate together to inspect, the space shuttle that lands, it opens up and it is a bunch of our heroes, right? So on this space shuttle that lands in the Savage Land, what emerges from that spaceship appears to be a bunch of superheroes, most of whom are already on the Savage Land scouting for this falling spacecraft. And so we have some of the same, we have like two groups almost of the same heroes <laughs> fighting amongst each other, trying to figure out who's who. And here's the really crazy thing. Most of them believe that they are who they say they are. And, you know, there's some really heartbreaking moments like with, with Mockingbird and we have Hawkeye, who at this point, he's the, uh, he's Ronan, you know, kind of like what he was in the, uh, the Endgame movie. Uh, Hawkeye is Ronan at this point and, you know, he thinks that his wife is, is dead and lo and behold, here she is, but you as the reader know that she's probably a scroll, bro. And and lo and behold, she is. And it's just kind of a heartbreaking thing to see Clint go through this kind of hopeful period. And, and then, you know, by the end of the book, there's that loss again. But, you know, that's kind of the super, a superhero game, I guess. Spoiler alert, the real Mockingbird is alive and well. So, you know, she comes back at the end. But there's that, that kind of thing that goes on. Uh, Tony Stark gets fucked up from the beginning, and he is essentially out of commission for damn near the entire story. Like in terms of like meaningful events that happen, <clears throat> Tony Stark doesn't get a whole lot here. And I think it's kind of cool and clever to to write Tony in this in uh, fashion. So uh, as soon as the melee ensues between like the, the two groups of identical superheroes, damn near uh, Tony, his tech is shut down. Right. So like he's infected with a, a nasty nanovirus that fucks his shit up. Not only does it shut down his armor, but it, it fucks with him on like a biological level. And it was a virus designed to kill him. Thankfully, it does not. But he is out of commission and he's barely able to keep it together and stay conscious. And so our heroes are really trying to scramble together to figure out what it is that they need to do. And right now there's kind of like a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a timeout <laughs> in terms of like, uh, the, the civil war beef, right? Because you have to remember Luke Cage and the people who followed him and Captain America, they're still considered outlaws, outlaws until they register with the government and get in line but there's still a, a large number of them who will not. So, you know, there's that 
little squabble that they put aside for the time being because there's a much bigger problem, obviously. The next big thing that happens here is that we see Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, uh, you know, after the big melee on the Savage Land, there's a a scattering of, of heroes. And then there's this period where they have to figure out who is who and whatnot. Meanwhile, keep in mind that New York and several other cities around the world are being pulverized by this scroll invasion. Uh, we see a lot of Norman Osborn with his thunderbolts and how he's reacting to what's going on here. Uh, and Norman Osborn is a very important character to keep in mind for this story. But back to the Savage Land, after the, the heroes have kind of scattered and are trying to get their bearings together, Spider-Woman approaches Tony Stark and she's been, she's being very kind and compassionate to Tony. And she says basically that, yes, I'm a scroll and so are you, Tony. And Tony's like, no, I can't be. And me, meanwhile, keep in mind, he's all fucked up from this virus that has infected his suit. And he's claiming to be a scroll or she's claiming that they are both scrolls. And she's thanking him for his sacrifice and his contribution to the war. And that because of him, they now have what they need to to finish things off. And, you know, she even uh, I will say they share a passionate kiss, but it's more of a one sided affair from her. Uh, her name is, uh, I think you pronounce it Veronke or something like that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Veronke. It sounds scrollish enough, I guess. Anyways, so yeah, she's really playing a mind fuck on Tony. Uh, spoiler alert, he is not a scroll. <laughs> uh, but she really makes him think that he is, and uh, it's just psychological warfare, really, uh, is what she's playing at here. So the real question is this, right? So how does the secret invasion end? Well, one of the first places to be attacked, well, actually, it was a simultaneous attack, right? So, like, every place was attacked at one time, at the same time. So, it was an extremely well-coordinated uh, attack. But one of the other places that were attacked wasn't even on Earth. It was S.W.O.R.D., which is, you know, like S.H.I.E.L.D., but in space, you know. So they got their own fancy acronym and everything. And uh, it was the director of S.W.O.R.D., Agent Brand, Abigail Brand, uh, you know, she was attacked and, and basically their space station had exploded and, uh, you know, they were probably thought to be dead. But Agent Brand finds a way onto the Squirrel warship and she's able to fight her way to Reed Richards, where she discovers that Reed Richards had been kidnapped. Like he like I said, he had been from the beginning of the book and she's able to free Reed Richards and Reed being the, the brainy guy that he is, he's able to manufacture a, uh, a special kind of, let's not miss words. It's a big ass gun. <laughs> Reed Richards makes a big ass gun. And what this gun does that he, he can shoot the gun and everything in the proximity that is a scroll is revealed to be a scroll. And so he, he comes to earth back to the savage land and he shoots like right in the middle of where a group of our supposed heroes are. And then the ones who are scrolls are revealed to be scrolls. And that is a game changer. And so here's the thing, right? And in most cases, I would honestly consider this to be lazy writing. Like, okay, you just come up with a fucking deus ex machina that can reveal 
who is a scroll and who isn't. That is very fucking convenient. But if we're being honest, that is Reed Richards' real superpower. No one really gives a shit that this man can stretch. It is his brain that makes him such a fascinating character and the way that he thinks. That's what makes Reed Richards such a, a cool character. So I completely buy Reed Richards coming up with something like this. And also, this was an angry Reed Richards because his home, the Bachelor Building, had been attacked. His family had been attacked. He didn't know the state of his wife, of his brother-in-law, of his best friend, of his children. He didn't know how any of them were, were faring off. And so he was extremely pissed. And a, a an angry Reed Richards is a very scary Reed Richards. And but that gun changes the landscape of things that and Thor comes back. Thor had been gone for a while in Marvel comic terms. You know, he had been thought dead for quite some time. You have to remember that, like during the Civil War, Hulk was off world. This was during the events of Planet Hulk. Phenomenal book. Highly recommended. And Thor was presumed dead. And that was a very clever way to get rid of your two heavy hitters while you know, the, the heroes fought amongst each other, but now Thor is back and Thor still wants nothing to do with Tony Stark because of the civil war. And because of the kind of the, the shitty heinous things that Tony did. Uh, so while Thor finds it beneath him to pick a side during the civil war, uh, you know, he still doesn't support what Tony does. And, uh, yeah, you know, Tony at one point does get out of line in a previous comic book, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But for now, Thor is back. And uh, and, I, and I love this moment, right? Because this is how Thor should be presented. And there's only been a few moments in the MCU where they've taken Thor seriously enough to see him presented in such a cool fashion. And so we see Thor uh, in this book, and it's very much reminiscent of Infinity War. Remember when Thor just appears during the uh, the Battle of Wakanda in Infinity War, and just how hype he was, and how powerful he was, and how much of a game changer he was. That's how he is here in Secret Invasion, and I mean that's how he should be presented. He's a fucking god of immense power, uh, and and yeah, so Thor is awesome here in this book, and. Uh, He's also so massive. I forget how big he's drawn sometimes. Uh, but anywho, the way that this whole thing ends is that uh, Tony wants uh, he wants the Squirrel Queen. Squirrel Queen. He wants her dead. Like he has had enough of the mind games. Uh, he's had enough of so many people that he thought he could trust being scrolls. He's had enough of them trying to kill him with this virus. He's just had it. And so he wants blood. And at this point, everyone who was available is, is on the battlefield now, right? Like there's just huge amounts of melee. The long story short here, the way that this whole thing ends is that, uh, the squirrel queen, like as soon as she's, she's dead to rights and she's about to be pulverized by, Maybe it's going to be Iron Man or maybe it's going to be Wolverine or whoever, whoever. But it ends up being Norman Osborn. He gets the kill shot. Uh, Norman Osborn gets the kill shot on the Squirrel Queen. And all of the news reporters were able to get that. 
And so what is now you can assume being broadcasted all over the world for the next who knows how long is Norman Osborn ends the scroll invasion. And this is doubly bad for Tony Stark because as the director of shield, you have to wonder why wouldn't he be aware of something so severe happening on earth before it got this bad. Uh, as an Avenger, he couldn't keep things under control. So he is failing on multiple fronts. And on top of that, he couldn't even end this conflict. Norman Osborn did. And so the president says that Tony Stark is out. Shield is defunct. And we're doing something new. We're putting Norman Osborn in head of what was Shield, but what is now Hammer. And is Hammer? Yeah. Yeah. I almost got confused there for a second. Hammer. And, uh, and you know, this is where we get Norman Osborn as the top cop for a, a while there. And then those were some fun comic books. Those were really cool. But anyways, yeah, that's essentially the story of Secret Invasion. And again, that is such a cliff note version. There's eight issues in Secret, in Secret Invasion in the comic book. Okay, so it, it has a lot of uh, material that I did not cover. I just wanted to be brief about what happens here. Uh, but I guess one more thing that is important to note here is that uh, the reason why the scrolls have mounted this assault on Earth uh, is because they have no more resources. They have no more planets. They have no more home world. And they needed Earth. And the scrolls are very religious in this book. And I kind of wish they gave uh, a better reason as to why they were so religious. But, uh, you know, the only thing they really say is that they just they had nothing left but their faith. It's kind of how they leave it. And I'm like, man, they, they did such a an interesting job with the uh, kind of the religious speak that some of the scrolls had here. Like they would say things like he loves you, you know, he being God. Uh, and you kind of wonder, OK, well, you can't just leave it as is. Like, tell me more about this scroll God, you know, like what what is this like? What is this about? But we don't really get a whole lot of that, and I wish we did. Um, also, something else that they point out that I think is still a bit of a plot hole for the comic book is all of the heroes who had been scrolls for a long time, uh, they were all actually kept alive on one of the scroll ships. And uh, at the end of the story, they are freed and you know returned to Earth. And one question that they, they do address um, this is when the president and, and Norman Osborn are speaking to one another towards the end of the story. Uh, you know, the president is like, well, why did the scrolls keep the heroes alive? And it's kind of a cop out answer. If I'm being honest, you know, like why would they keep the heroes alive? And they give a, a couple of possible answers. One of them is maybe they needed the heroes as bargaining chips, you know, in case things got too out of hand. And, you know, they could say, hey, well, we have your we have your companions up here. And if you do anything, we'll kill them or whatever. And then the other theory they said is they needed the heroes alive for the genetic material, I guess, to continue to make them, which I, I guess kind of fans out, kind of makes sense. But also, does it? I don't know. Pseudoscience is weird. Uh, but as a whole, the Secret Invasion comic book was very is still a, a very good read. 
Uh, it is one that maybe does require a little bit of uh, foreknowledge. You, you kind of have to understand where things are at during this time period in Marvel Comics, because, again, this is one of my favorite time periods in Marvel Comics. Uh, this is something that I was still, you know, pretty familiar with overall. So, you know, if, if you're familiar with the Bendis era of Avengers, if you're familiar with the Civil War, you know, and all that, then I think that you can easily pick up, pick up Secret Invasion, read it and have a blast with it. Uh, I think if you like mystery surrounded by fast paced, fun action, you will have a blast with this story. Um, I really dig it. I, I dig it because, uh, you know, there were almost like three big events within like, uh, if I had to guess, like a 12 to 18 month period at Marvel Comics. You know, so you get uh, Civil War and then you get House of M and then you get Secret Invasion. And I think that all three of those are excellent for different reasons. Right. So Civil War being a battle of ideologies, uh, House of M being like a more of a, of a battle for a teammate. And, and what do you do in a situation like this? Again, another ethical battle that's being fought as well as a, uh, as a physical battle as well, uh, something that affects the, the emotions. And then you get secret invasion, which is more of a straight up physical threat. You know, the, the earth is being compromised and the, the jig is up. What are you going to do? So, they all felt different enough to be special and they all also fold together enough that uh, they make for a really fun read and, and succession. So I do recommend the Secret Invasion comic book. So now with that being all said and done, that now that we're 42 minutes into this, let's discuss uh, the Secret Invasion TV show. Um, so I went into the TV show I don't want to say with low expectations, but the closer we got to the release of the TV show, the hype that I had for this six months ago had died down. I went into this TV show, um, you know, somewhat optimistic, knowing that this is going to be nothing like the comic book. So I wasn't even trying to compare it to the comic books. I wasn't trying to uh, hold it up to the comic books because I knew that this TV show just wouldn't be able to stand up to that. And so I didn't want to hold the TV show up to that. But like I said, at the top of this podcast, the number one thing is, is it good? And this show is okay at best. So we're going to go ahead and rip off that bandage, this bandaid, this show is 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 okay at its best, but if we're being truthful, this this continues the trend of mediocre Marvel TV shows. Um, I mean, my goodness, this show just it it's not it. It is not it. Um, but there are some things I like about this TV show. And so don't think that I'm just going to spend the next 30 minutes or however long shitting on the TV show. That's not my objective here. There are some things about this show that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, for one thing, I uh, I did enjoy the casting. Uh, I thought that uh, overall that this show had some really solid casting. Um, I like the 
tone of this show. Uh, I thought that the tone really did a good job of kind of building this up to be like a uh, a spy espionage type feel, you know, and that's something that was kind of refreshing. And um, I'll say this: I, I I like the the last fight that we get between the two super scrolls. Uh, obviously, there are things around it that I didn't like, uh, but. The fight itself, I thought was really cool. And, and, you know, I'll go ahead and say this before people try to shit on it. Um, I thought that the, uh, the, the fight scene and the, not just the fight scene, but the look of the super scrolls were really good, specifically Gavik. Um, I thought that, I thought that his look was, was really good, really good. I mean, he, he looked like a super scroll. And, you know, while that may sound like a low bar, how many times have we seen these superhero movies fuck up a simple look, you know? So he looked and behaved like a super scroll, and I'm I'm happy for that. Uh, what else did I enjoy about this? Um, I enjoy, th- I, I like the fact that this show tried to clean up the mess that the Captain Marvel movie made. The Captain Marvel movie damn near ruined scrolls outright. You know, if you watch the Captain Marvel movie, then why would you have any need to ever be afraid of the scrolls? You know, like it just didn't seem logical that I should fear these these beings, you know, like why why would I be afraid of them? The Captain Marvel movie taught me that no, they're innocent good people and they don't want to hurt anybody. And it's the mean old Cree who are the bad guys. And uh, I mean, I thought it was a, you know, obviously you guys know how I feel about the Captain Marvel movie, but I thought it was just a such a shitty subversion of expectations and a shitty movie. You know, it just didn't work. Um, But yeah, so I thought that the, the Secret Invasion TV show did a decent enough job of trying to give some nuance to the scrolls, you know. Um, I gotta be honest. I think that is where my list of, of good things to say about this TV show begin and end. There's nothing else really about this that I can think of that I thoroughly enjoyed, which does leave us to talk about the rest of this TV show. So we'll start here. They bring back Kobe Smolders as Maria Hill to kill Colby Smulders as Maria Hill in episode one of this godforsaken show. They bring back Maria Hill, and I'm thinking this is going to be her time to shine. I'm thinking we are finally going to get to see what Maria Hill is capable of. I've always liked the casting of Colby Smulders as Maria Hill. I thought that she uh, was excellent casting back in 2012. But... They have never utilized her in the MCU. Never. And I thought that this TV show would be a great opportunity to see her step up and to work alongside Nick Fury. And I thought that they were going to get some good shit done. They kill her off in episode one. Fucking garbage. Garbage. And I'll also say this. Like, I know a lot of people out there may not care about Maria Hill being killed, 
But that's also a problem that the MCU created. Because if the MCU had used her correctly, you would very much care and be up in arms if they killed off this character. But uh, yeah, so there's that. That was fucking atrocious. Um, this, the whole story here, and and I think for me the biggest problem that this show presents is it just doesn't feel like it matters. It doesn't feel like it means anything. And I mean, that's probably the worst thing I can say about this show, right? It just feels so, so lackluster, right? Um, And again, like I know it's not fair to compare it to the comic book, but hell, look at the differences between the Civil War movie and the Civil War comic book. And I have pointed those out many times, many, many times. I never judged the Civil War movie for not having the big battles that the comic book did because I understood the litigation and the legal red tape and the nightmare would be to, to put that on screen in 2016. I'd never held the civil war movie up against the comic book in that regard. Not for the spectacle. I did hold up the civil war movie to the comic book in terms of how much do you understand what this story is about And how much can you make that story translate live action? And that's where the Civil War movie fumbled. And Secret Invasion, they don't even get the chance to fumble because they never even get the fucking ball. So the the scrolls, they're already on Earth here, right? And basically a group of them splinter off and become extremists. And the leader of them being Gavik. And uh, by the way, Gavik, uh, again, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, I do really like the casting here. I think that the casting was very good. Uh, He's played by uh, Kingsley Ben-Adir, I believe is his name. And uh, he's great. I think that he plays a great terrorist leader. And you know what else I like about him? Uh, His character is a terrorist, and he is presented as a terrorist. Remember how in Falcon and Winter Soldier with Carly Magenthal, uh, the Flag Smasher, how she and her group of terrorists were not presented as terrorists. They were presented as misunderstood, misguided people who were negatively affected by the snapping. And they went all around the block to not call this girl and her followers terrorists when they were absolutely terrorists. Uh, at least with the scrolls here, especially with this splinter group, they don't really mince words about it and they don't leave it up for interpretation. No, they're terrorists. And uh, I was afraid that Marvel would be afraid to label bad guys bad guys anymore because they just really didn't do that with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, But yeah, so they let the bad guys be bad. And it's a shame when the bar is so goddamn low. But here we are. Anyway, yeah, he gave a great performance, though. Uh, I really liked him as the bad guy. By the way, um, I'm not super versed into like the, uh, you know, the the, the Kree scroll 
war. Like I'm, I'm familiar with the the original comic book and the concept of the Kree Scroll War. But what I'm getting at is like the specific scrolls. I only know a handful of them. You know, like the the OG Super Scroll, uh, Curit. He's he's the bomb diggity. Uh, but like in terms of like you know specific individual scrolls, there's only like a few of them that I'm aware of. What I'm getting at is this. I think that most of, if not all, of the scrolls created for the MCU, I think they've been made up. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that any of them are actually based in comic books. Um, like Amelia Clark plays Gaia. I think she's made up. She's the made up daughter of Talos, who I also think is made up. <laughs> and again, I could be wrong uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm admittedly not a scroll expert. But uh, I think that most of those characters are just made for the MCU. And, you know, it, it kind of shows. Uh, this TV show wants to make up for its lack of interest by killing people. And it either doesn't move you at all or infuriates you like the Maria Hill death in episode one. They killed Talos in like episode four, I believe. Um, and, you know, it's like, okay. Uh, he is much better in this TV show, much better written in this TV show than he was in Captain Marvel. Again, he was written like dog shit in Captain Marvel. Uh, but here he, he's written like an actual person. So that's good. Uh, but unfortunately, four episodes isn't enough to have me feel really anything for him when he dies, you know, because. I mean, unless you just absolutely love this character in Captain Marvel, you're still really not going to give too much of a shit about him in uh, the Secret Invasion TV show. Um, maybe the person who delivers the best performance is uh, Don Cheadle as, as Colonel James Rhodes. I think that uh, it's clear he had a lot of fun with this role, you know, he got to play a different side of Rhodey because it wasn't really Rhodey. It was a scroll. And uh, I think that this version of Rhodey was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was fun to see, you know, uh, we don't ever get to see the war machine shoot uh, war machine suit, excuse me. But, uh, we do get to see him and like his type of political power role. You know, he, he works closely with the president. Uh, but yeah, his role I thought was very, very fun. And uh, they don't explicitly make it clear how long Rhodey had been a scroll, But uh, some people are speculating already. <laughs> They're speculating that it had been since maybe Civil War. And I'm like, that's a long fucking time. And why would they keep him alive? I guess for the same nondescript reasons in the comic books, they kept the heroes alive. You know, plot armor. But anywho, um, so basically the the concept here or the the plot of this show is that Gavik has gotten a group together, a group of scrolls together, and he has risen to power, and he wants to basically cause a, I guess he wants to essentially cause a fucking war between America and Russia. And hopes that that war will 
lead to the destruction of humanity and the scrolls can have an, an uprising and overthrow hum humanity because they're never going to be able to live peacefully amongst the humans and Nick Fury and Captain Marvel promised that they will find a home world for the scrolls and it's been however many years and that has not happened. Nick Fury didn't keep his promise. Therefore, Gavik is going to go on a genocidal uproar and overthrow the tyrannical American government systems and 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 in this place he's going to have the the scrolls rule. I'm not entirely mad at his premise here because I mean, yeah. Uh Nick Fury and Captain Marvel did promise to find a place for the scrolls to live. And towards the end of the show, I believe Fury says that, you know, they knew after so many years that they weren't going to find a home world for the scrolls. Uh, but Nick Fury didn't do a goddamn thing, you know, to kind of fix the problem. Uh, and so essentially the scrolls were going to have to continue to live on earth and in secret. And I do like one thing that Nick Fury says here towards the end of the show. Well, I guess it's, was it Nick Fury or was it Gaia who was pretending to be Nick Fury? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But there's a line where Nick Fury says something along the lines of, uh, I lied to you because it's easier to keep 8 million people alive, or 8 billion people alive than it is to convince 8 billion people to trust aliens. You know, he says something along those lines, you know, basically saying that it's easier to keep the people safe than it is to get them to trust shape-shifting aliens. <laughs> Which is fair. That is fair. And so he kind of strung along the scrolls for a while. I didn't mention much about Sam Jackson's performance here as Nick Fury. Um, I mean, it's fine. Uh, he, he's he's good. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really have too much to say about it. Um, I'm not going to say he phones it in, but the script just doesn't do hardly anyone any service. You know? Like the, the script here is so weak for this plot or uh, for this TV show. And so they want to sell the idea of, of Nick Fury being old and broken down. And he's out of touch. He doesn't have the step anymore. He doesn't have what it takes. He cannot hang and he can't deal with this type of war. And they reiterate that over and over and over again. And the problem is there is no fucking payoff for that. There's nothing we don't we don't see Nick Fury revert to the quote unquote old Nick Fury. We don't see him, you know, he, he, he doesn't have that that moment of triumph where he comes through again. And he's like, no, I've been playing you motherfuckers all along. I'm Nick Fury. I'm always two steps ahead. We don't get that. Yeah, he's essentially what they've said about him is right. He's old and he's out of touch and he was gone for a long time. And, you know, this show tries to do things to spice it up and make it interesting. But again, in my humble opinion, it just fails and it falls flat on his face. For example, Nick Fury is married to a scroll. <laughs> Yeah, he's married to a scroll. And you can tell that was supposed to be a, a uh, 
a big, cool sticking point. It was fucking dumb. <laughs> it was so fucking dumb. So Nick Fury not only got married, but married a scroll. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what the fuck? Who wrote this? Who wrote this? And and but yet who hid the comic book from them? Like this is just utterly this is just utter nonsense at this point. So yeah, Nick Fury is a married man, been married for a long fucking time, and I, I still don't understand the relationship that Nick Fury has with his scroll wife. I don't get it. I don't understand their relationship at all. It, it felt so forced. And there's just so much that you as the viewer have to kind of put into the relationship to even mentally make it make sense. It just doesn't add up. Right. And I mean, it's yeah, it just it doesn't add up. So you mean to tell me after all this time, no one knew that Nick Fury was married and I get it. He's Nick Fury, but Nick Fury ain't getting fucking married. Because then somebody would have something over him. I mean, that's just fucking spy espionage 101. But fuck that, I guess. So, yeah, Nick Fury, married man, and their marriage is weird. Like, are you guys, do you guys like each other? Do you not like each other? Yeah, (laughs) they play it so bizarre that I don't even understand the nature of their relationship. Uh, So... Yeah, like when at first I saw that he was married into a scroll, I was like, maybe this is just some kind of like political, you know, interplanetary peace treaty type of thing. Or like if you married a scroll and they return, you know, they, I don't know, give Nick Fury information or some shit. I don't fucking know. I thought it was going to be something along those lines, but love? Come on. We're too late in the game to have Nick Fury fall in love and and this I just can't sometimes with these fucking Marvel TV shows I just can't um the ending to me also didn't make a whole lot of sense either if I'm being honest the ending of this we see Nick Fury uh he he gets noticed from Gavik to meet him at this place that is as high in radiation. I forget exactly what the place was called, but it's this, it looks like this old kind of military base or scientific research type place, but it's, it's heavily irradiated. So Nick Fury has to take iodine pills with them to kind of keep the radiation down. And, uh, and so, yeah, he, uh, Nick Fury, he decides to go there and, uh, he and Gavin meet and have their, you know, one-on-one conversation or whatnot. And uh, Nick Fury is is dying a, a slow, painful death. Actually, it's kind of a quick death in retrospect. You know, like he's coughing up a storm here. He's on the ground, suffering immensely from all the radiation. And and Gavik is having a blast seeing Nick Fury suffer like this. And and so basically, right now the whole plan here is uh, to convince the president to go ahead and and launch a full scale assault via missiles at Russia uh, because Russia is in collusion with the scrolls against America. That is what scroll Don Cheadle 
is telling the president and the president is, is buying that information because there was an attack by the scrolls on the president and uh, the president wasn't killed. And so, yeah, the, the plan then was to convince the president that Russia and the scrolls are working together and that they need to go ahead and attack Russia. Uh, and Nick Fury is trying desperately to prevent it from happening because that would start another world war. And then that would potentially lead to the downfall of humanity. Scrolls would be able to take over by the being by the boom. The game's over. Uh, yeah. So Nick Fury uh, is, is talking with Gavin and Gavin is explaining his big master plan as villains tend to do. And Nick Fury pulls out the old vial that Gavin's been looking for. So Gavik right now is a super scroll in a sense. He has like a couple of people's different powers. Like you see him use group powers quite a bit and like one or two others. But the vow that Nick Fury has, has like the DNA from the battle of uh, Endgame. So all the people who were there, uh, Nick Fury, oh, not all of them, but a lot of the people who were there, um, he has like their genetic code or whatever the dna in the vial and gavik wants that so he can use that as part of the super scroll program to make himself you know even more powerful so they can have all their powers and he specifically really wants captain marvels uh because the mcu made her op as fuck for some reason but i mean admittedly i mean hell even even in the comic books yeah her powers would be fucking amazing to have she is extremely powerful still uh but yeah, so all of these different heroes and villains and whatnot, their power set is all, you know, there. Uh, oddly enough, I don't think that Thanos was there, <laughs> you know, so they didn't have any Thanos DNA to scoop up. Uh, but yeah, so Gavik, he takes the vial from Nick Fury and, and, and Nick Fury gives Gavik the vial under the pretense that you won't, you, you'll take this, you get your super ultra powers, you and your people will leave Earth and go find and take over and terrorize another planet. And uh, Gavik calls Nick Fury, you know, you're you're an old fool, you know, then he twirls his mustache some and then he goes, I'm going to take over this planet and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so then Gavik, he he does the whole sequence where he tests the uh, the vial that Fury gave him. The vial is correct. It does contain the DNA of so many different superpower people. He turns on the device and it creates this like this field of energy around uh, the the whole room essentially. And it, it only works on scrolls. So if there's any scrolls in there, then they will get those same superpowers. And lo and behold, when you know it, it is not. Nick Fury, it is actually Gaia, and uh, she was pretending to be Nick Fury, and she gave Gavik all of the DNA of those heroes so that he could become a super duper scroll, and she also becomes a super duper scroll, and then they have a super duper scroll fight. Again, the fight in and of itself, I thought was pretty fucking cool. Everything around the fight was utter nonsense. Why would you give Gavik the super duper scroll formula? Okay, so uh, it's one of those things where I, I get that Gavik by himself is is already kind of more powerful than everyone else, and this would at least put you on even playing ground, 
right? This, this makes the playing field even if both of you have the same powers. However, you are still making the enemy immensely more powerful. So I don't understand completely the logic behind doing that. And also, surely there is a way to enact the Super Scroll program without Gavi having been there, right? So they could have found some way to give Emilia Clark's character, Gaia, the powers of that Super Scroll without uh, Gavik getting a hold of that, right? So, like, they, they didn't have to give the powers to Gavik, you know? It was just weird. <laughs> And it it was one of those things where, like, uh, you could tell they did because they, they needed to have this big blowout fight here at the end. And they do. And uh, Nick Fury shoots fake uh, Colonel Rhodes in the head. And, yep, it's a scroll. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Secret Invasion is off. Uh, the... I guess one more thing that I did like about the show is uh, at the ending here, um, there ended up being like a bunch of, and I could be wrong on this, right? So forgive me if I am, but I think that there was a bunch of like hit squads that were actually sanctioned by the president, right? To go and eliminate is a nice way to put it, a bunch of squirrels. So, like, people who worked in either whether it be politics <clears throat> or, like, news channels, uh, people who worked in, uh, you know, maybe the military or wherever they worked, uh, if the president became aware of any scrolls, he would have, like, what seemed to be, like, a uh, a, a non-listed group of individuals go and kill these scrolls you know um, they were probably people who you know were with the military but they looked non-distinct and uh and you know we get this little montage and we see that sometimes they were right and sometimes they weren't sometimes they just actually murdered innocent people but other times yeah the people they murdered were, were scrolls but either way like murder is still murder you know so like were these scrolls bothering anybody but i also understand the hesitancy or not the hesitancy, but I understand the uh, uh, the paranoia of the president by wanting to eliminate any scrolls, seeing that like uh, you know Colonel James Rhodes had been a scroll this whole time and had been whispering sweet nothings into the president's ear, and all these other people had been scrolls, and the president doesn't like them anymore or at, ever or at all, you know, and so learning that the enemy was amongst them and had gotten so deep. Uh, the president had basically a hit put out and you know we get this moment where we see uh, um, Nick Fury trying to talk down the president saying that you're making a, a, a terrible mistake here what are you doing and you know we see the president say well if you had been on your shit Fury then this would have never happened so you know, I'm doing your job. That you, I'm doing the job you should have done, and the old Nick Fury would have known this. You know, um, so I, I thought that that you know made made good enough sense there at the end. Uh and then we see Nick Fury and his squirrel wife go up into the spaceship together to do space squirrel sex. I don't, I don't fucking know. Uh, 
<laughs> and that's Secret Invasion. Man, I am ready to be invested in the MCU again. I'm ready. I want to be invested in the MCU again. Give me a reason. The last thing that I saw in the MCU that I just loved was Guardians Volume 3. And that was the end of a specific chapter in the MCU. Give me a reason to have faith in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This TV show wasn't it. And again, I'm judging it by its own merits, right? So not only does it not have the spectacle of the comic book, which... It's hard to compare the spectacle of a comic book to a movie because comic books are damn near undefeatable when it comes to spectacle. But the base story, it's not even the same thing. It's not even close. And this plot, if you want to call it that, it's it's so paper thin that I was surprised they got six episodes out of this. And on top of that, these are not hour-long episodes. These episodes range from 45 minutes to 38. They're not long episodes at all. Um, This is definitely not the worst uh, MCU Disney Plus TV show. Uh, That's still probably She-Hulk or some shit. But let me tell you, this... (laughs) it's not good and um, you know again if you're you know a a big comic book fan and you hear Secret Invasion TV show oh man oh it just gives you goosebumps thinking what the possibilities are and to get this instead it's just a letdown man it's a wet fart you know so to me, this show doesn't deliver. Uh, I think that the the visuals, for the most part, were were, were pretty good. I like the visuals. Um, I uh, I mean, I've already been over the, the things I like here. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 hard to find things about this show that were just expertly well done. And at this point, man, I just I don't I don't even know what to think anymore. Um, it's also surprising to see the lack of social media presence that this show has. I mean, even today with it being the finale, you don't see a whole lot about this show anywhere. You don't see a whole lot of people talking about it. I'm I'm not normally with something this big, you know, I would see several people beating me to the punch doing their reviews on this. I haven't seen that. I would normally see, you know, a bunch of, uh, news articles from fake nerd websites talking about the TV show. I've only seen like maybe one or two. Um, there's just not a lot of hype behind this show. And I don't think a lot of people have seen this show. And honestly, some people may not even know about this show. And I wonder what the marketing budget was because this show has not been heavily marketed. And I don't think it's because they believe it's a bad product. I I don't know if it's because they, they want to save money um, or, or what it is, but yeah, this show just hasn't uh, had a lot of press. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I have too much more to say about the uh, Secret Invasion TV show, other than this is another TV show you can skip. Like in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's gonna matter. I don't think it's gonna matter at all.
Um, you know, there's been rumors going around that, you know, it's, it's going to try to tie into the, the Marvel's movie that's coming out. Um, cause I'm sure that, uh, that movie be a blast too. Right. But we'll see. Uh, I'm just being a, a, an asshole at this point. <laughs> uh, but like I said, man, this show, it's not like it's God awful, terrible, shitty ass, you know, again, it's not she Hulk, but, uh, it, it is leaving a lot to be desired, not just because of his namesake, but because Marvel Disney plus TV shows, they really need a win. And six months ago, I would have thought that this would have been the win and it's not. And the only other thing we're getting this year in terms of TV shows for Marvel is Loki and if you guys are long-term listeners, you already know how I feel about that god-awful TV show, too. Uh, but with that being said, um, let's end this thing on a positive note here. The comic book is really good. The comic book is is a whole lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> and, you know. Uh, but in terms of this TV show, man, um, again, I, I had no problem with the cast. And uh, I think that uh, that that Don Cheadle and uh, Kingsley Ben Adair, uh, Gavik or Gravik, whatever the name was, I think that uh, that those two actors did a a great job. And uh, I haven't talked much about like Amelia Clark's performance. Like she's along the same lines as like Sam Jackson, where they didn't phone it in, but my goodness, they just didn't have a whole lot to work with either. You know, uh, I do think that uh, Ben Mendelssohn as Talos again. I think that uh, he did. I think he did really good actually with his role for the few episodes he was here with. Um, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't enough to really move the needle for me when he died. But you know, uh, but yeah, I think that's gonna be it for this one, homies. Uh, I think I upheld my end of the bargain when I said I was going to keep this one brief for me an hour and 20 minutes. That is brief, even if it's by myself. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Let me know if you guys enjoyed the TV show. Are you guys familiar with the comic books? Do you guys want to give it a shot now? Uh, am I completely off with this TV show? Did you guys love it? And maybe I misunderstood this movie or this TV show. Uh, I'm not going to say it's likely, but it's a possibility. Sure. Why not? Uh, I love hearing from you guys. Uh, you homies are all great. Check out the Patreon page where there's a lot of cool content and you guys get early access to new episodes as well. So for one to three bucks a month, you guys can really help me out and support me and, uh, also get some cool stuff in return as well. So, uh, be sure to do that. That is patreon.com backslash superhero homies. Uh, that's going to be all for this one, but thank you guys again for listening in. Uh, you guys are fucking amazing, but until next time, my name is superhero homie Q signing off. <laughs>